The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon with you here on this, uh, well, the polar vortex has made it way, made its way down to Central Florida. Hope you're staying no, warm stop. out there. <laughs> well, listen, Please. up in stores, it's like minus two, okay? So, you know, Colin Sherwin, our buddy from, um, uh, our, our friend emeritus from the Daily Stampede was like, we should send this out to every American Athletic Conference recruit. And it was like, Tampa 55, Orlando 53, Stores minus 2, Cincinnati minus 7, Greenville 31, something like that. But he's right about that. Um, anyway, hope you're staying relatively warm if you're in Central Florida. If you're not, hope you're, you know, surviving. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you here. Uh, recording this on Thursday morning, January 31st. Uh, make sure you follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, we are at UCF underscore banner as well. We are the home of the UCF Knights on SB Nation. Uh, and subscribe to our podcast on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also follow us uh, individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Spokes underscore Murphy, and Eric Lopez Elo. Boys, how are you? Very good. Thank you, Jeffrey, for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> Eric, you there? <laughs> Already we've lost him? Unbelievable. Unbelievable! <laughs> I, mean, I know, I know. All right, we'll grab him. We'll get him in a second. All right, we're recording this on Thursday morning. Basketball's on tonight. Um, the men's basketball team is playing UConn. Late start, nine o'clock. So, um, if you're listening to this after the UConn game, sorry. Um, but if you're listening to this bef- yeah. before the UConn game, great, fantastic. Um, <laughs> because we're going to preview that in a little bit. We've also got our uh, season preview interview that Mr. Eric Lopez did with. First-year UCF head softball coach Cindy Ball Malone, Coach Bear. We've got that later on. We'll catch you up on tennis also getting started. They're playing um, Florida at the USTA Tennis Center uh, later tonight as well. But we start with women's basketball. Elo, you and I were there last night for UCF um, taking on Houston. And it was a tight game, but I think we're starting to see a pattern here with, uh, with UCF women's basketball. Um, they, they just, I, I got to give this team credit because they're not blowing teams out of the gym, but they find ways to win. And they certainly did last night. They were down for a significant portion of the game, uh, by as much as seven points, but they fought back in the second half. It's almost as though Randy Shannon is coaching this team in the second half because, uh, they find ways to come back and, uh, they did. They get the win over Houston, 58, 56. Houston had a shot to tie or win at the game but could not do it. And I think we also discovered a couple thing, a couple more things about this team that I think are actually encouraging. Um, they held Houston to uh, 33% shooting in the fourth quarter as the Knights staged their comeback. Um, in addition, uh, I want to give some credit to uh, Kayla Thigpen, who was uh, who had uh, 16 points on 5 of 11 shooting last night. She was 5 of 8 at the line. And on a night when K.K. Wright could only manage six points on three of 12 shooting, she uh, Kayla has emerged as this sort of 
second scoring threat. I was telling some of the guys on, uh, yeah, uh, uh, over the scores table, I was like, you know, I really love, I've always loved the way Kayla plays. She does all the little things right. Uh, and she's got this textbook perfect shooting stroke. And uh, and it showed uh, last night as UCF got the victory. Um, you were there along with me. Yep. What were your thoughts on that game, Eric? Well, I thought it was a big, it was a, it was a grinded out win. You know, I thought it was interesting. I thought for the, and I don't know how you felt about it. We were both courtside. The first quarter and a half, I thought the tempo was in Houston's favor. Houston actually scored 20 points in the first quarter. Only scored 36 the rest of the way. Uh, UCF's depth, once again, came into play here. They dominate a Houston team that only had eight players dressed. I've never seen, they had yeah. more people like in suits than people that are actually dressed up in jerseys, which was kind of funny for me anyway. Maybe not for Houston fans, but uh, UCF took advantage of that. They outscored Houston 33-7 to off the bench. Uh, it, to, to me, that was the difference. I mean, that's the depth that this team has that they, quite frankly, have never had before. You have somebody like Masni Kaba, who was arguably their second-best player last year, coming off the bench, 11 points, 8 rebounds in 20 minutes. I thought she was solid. Uh, you look at, at Diamond Battles. I thought she was tremendous running the offense, uh, uh, Jeffrey, uh, with 20 minutes, five assists in the game, uh, or excuse me, five points, three assists in the game. I thought she was really a key factor in that fourth quarter. I thought just the, their depth was too much for Houston, uh, and they, you know, as a result, they find a way to get a big win. Yeah, so so now, and this Houston team, don't let their 10-10 and 10 record fool you. Ronald Huey, by the way, former UCF assistant, is their head coach. Um, the players that they do have, they can they can bring it. Uh, they came into the game at uh, four and two in the league. Now they're down to four and three, but they're still fifth in the conference. UCF right now seven and one after that loss to UConn, where you know UConn did UConn things. It's almost like like we always say you have you got to just throw that game out, um, pretend it's like a non conference game. UConn at eighteen and one, seven and zero, oh, leading the American. UCF still with a grasp at second place at eighteen and three and seven and one. Uh, one game ahead of Cincinnati uh, at 14-7, and 6-2. So as we look ahead to the remainder of the schedule, by the way, UCF, even with that loss to UConn, still maintains 17 in the RPI. Uh, UConn, the top American team at 7. Uh, UCF is clearly second and by um, a long shot. The next closest uh, AAC team in the uh, RPI. I'm still scrolling. I'm all the way down to the 80s. Um, maybe <laughs> that's I that's never a good sign. Yeah, well, let me that's let me double check because maybe I maybe I, I'm blind and I can't see anything. But no, uh, UConn, let's see. There you go. Houston, believe it or not, is third in the third in the uh, RPI, third highest AAC team in the RPI at 94, followed by Cincinnati mm-hmm. at 95. So that tells you where. In other words, it's a two bid league, folks. Right. That's it's yeah. it's, <laughs> it's pretty much it. Um, and credit to UCF for what they've done to this point. Um, and by the way, like Murphy, you were telling me before we came back on air, um, yeah, women's basketball does still use the RPI. They don't use the net ranking, at least not yet. So we'll see how that um, shakes out. But the schedule looks like this the rest of the way. Um, big game against South Florida on Sunday, 1 p.m., ESPN2 television. And then uh, Wednesday, or excuse me, a uh, and then they have the Knights have basically a week off. The next game they play Saturday in Dallas against SMU. So as you look for where South Florida is, you know they've been obviously they've struggled with the injuries that they've had. They're 147th in the RPI. 
Um, they had another injured player in the Cincinnati loss they had at home. I was watching that. Yeah, this they is a <laughs> this is a bizarre this is a bizarrely bad year for them. Eleven and ten, two and five in the rec- in the conference. Just, just you know what, not. You know what Coach Abe though in the UCF staff say is like, too bad we had these injuries last right. year. That's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. But sure. um, I mean, well, I guess we'll finish the women's basketball conversation with. Who is UCF's, aside from obviously UConn, but again, I almost feel like you have to throw them out at this point. Um, They're coming to town on Sunday, February 17th. Aside from UConn, who is the biggest hurdle for UCF the rest of the way? I mean, because they don't don't have to deal with uh, Cincinnati uh, again the rest of the way, even even though they're next up on that RPI. They have one more game at Houston, but... By the way, I, I think that's significant that they don't have to go to Cincinnati. Because I do think Cincinnati is the third best team. You saw them up close. I mean, they could have easily beaten UCF here in UCF. I mean, that yeah. came down to the wire. Much improved uh, Cincinnati team this year. Well, that, that, you know, they were a WNIT team a year ago, and they got rid of their coach, which was controversial. Gino Oriema just flipped off, uh, just snapped on social media, blasted the Cincinnati athletic director, called him a, basically called him a snake. It was great. It was Ooh. great Gino stuff. I didn't that, see uh, that. How did I miss that? Oh, yeah. No, dude, you, you got to Google that. It was phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, Gino, because remember, the previous coach, Coach uh, for Cincinnati, was a former player under Gino at Connecticut. Yeah, so right. Obviously, personal ties there, but he snapped at the AD. It was great. Called him a clown. It was beautiful. Gotta love Gino. Um, yeah, it's Jamel but, Elliott who was the head coach at Cincinnati. And, 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 and I'll defend Gino in this regard. I thought she did do a good job. I covered them when uh, for the Digital Network. I mean, they and again they made the WNIT. And remember, last year Cincinnati didn't have a home court. They had to play up at a, at a different court. They had to play at Northern court. Kentucky University. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what Gino was upset. It was a shocking move, but. You know they're playing well right now, and so I think it's a big, it's a big break that UCF doesn't have to go to Cincinnati this year. I think their toughest road game is at Tulane. Tulane, mm-hmm. the other one that I would say could be a, a, a pesky game up there in New Orleans. But look, it's about staying healthy for this women's team. It's about using their depth, and you hope that KK can kind of get back on track because kind of she hasn't been the same since that ankle injury, and sometimes that takes a little while to get back on a smooth of things. I mean, although I thought Jeff she moved around pretty well, I didn't. I don't know if it's the ankle issue or just teams now are starting to try to put more pressure on her yeah. to make other players uh, use the ball more. I didn't, what did you see from I, her? From, I, you know, like, from my a- vantage point, she was uh, Houston clearly decided that they were going to match up bigger, faster play, bigger, faster players on her. And, and actually, and this is a credit to Ronald Huey because he has the kind of front court players who can guard back court players. Like, for example, obviously we talked about, you know, Angela Harris is probably their best player, but he put Octavia Barnes at times on her. He put uh, Sarithia Hawkins on her, who's a big guard, and they gave her fits in that game. She could not get free to get some pull-up jumpers until late when Houston started getting tired, and I think think that's what that... and, And even when she did, you know, she still didn't... She didn't... She wasn't able to get... Uh, those looks to fall. So it looked like Houston's strategy was we're going to put, we're just, we're not going to let KK beat us. If someone's going to beat us, it's going to be somebody else. And lo and behold, there you go. Kayla Figpen beat them with 5'11 from the field, plus 5'8 at the line and 16 points. And then you talk about Masni Kaba. She was able to take advantage of um, 
Houston size differential because she's taller than anybody else on the Houston roster. And she was getting good looks down low. She was also creating some looks down low. Her footwork is so good on the interior. So she was 4 of 10. Actually had a couple of shots that she probably should have gotten, 11 points and 8 rebounds. And I think that was the real difference. Brittany Smith, also the other big for UCF, was 4 for 4 from the field for 8 points. So, so, I mean, your two primary scoring bigs combined for 19 points, that was, I think, uh, a real key. Plus Kayla with the shooting. So, um, so that, that was an encouraging sign for me that, you know, for UC, you know, some, a team decides they're going to shut down KK. Okay. No problem. We're going to, we're going to adjust and here's what we're going to do. And it worked. I agree hundred. And by the way, this team could play big, could play small. I mean, they got a lot of versatility on this roster with yeah. depth and versatility. I think it's a big plus on that. By the way, big shout out, great crowd for the women's game. Yes. And, and student section came out, obviously, bobblehead night with Nugget. Uh, Murph, I learned that Nugget is a huge celebrity. I can tell you that I tried to <laughs> You're only them. just now learning that? <laughs> yeah, he's a huge celebrity. I, I actually approached Nugget prior to the game, tried to uh, invite him to the podcast. Uh, but the <laughs> wow. Yeah, it me. I don't do podcasts. <laughs> oh, stop. Don't, don't. <laughs> don't play into it, Jeffrey. You're only. Wait, <laughs> I, I well, I, I will say I, I want to give a special shout to Steve Robertson from UCF, uh, from UCF in the marketing department because he's in charge of marketing for women's basketball. He stuck his neck out to try and have a nugget night at UCF women's, uh, and he got the bobbleheads. They had a thousand. Brilliant bobblehead nugget bobbleheads i mean when you think about how quickly he turned that around considering Mm -hmm. that nuggets first like real appearance of any significance at a ucf sporting event was september the 29th um at the i think it was the fau football game and uh and this thing has become a phenomenon plus the horse is a freaking cute and uh, they had him at the game up at the student section. The students were getting bobbleheads after the game, and that was a that was a real factor. I thought the crowd was a factor last night, and um, and, and it was it was good to see a big group of students sticking around for the end of the game, and they really did help uh, UCF to the victory last night. Houston had a shot at the end to tie a good look too, but it didn't fall, and uh, UCF is now, like I said, you know. Continue to continue to roll in conference at uh, seven and one and eighteen and three uh, overall. Saturday, the game of the USF that should be a good one as well. All right, let's flip over to men's. Um, all right, so Twitter is just a flame right now uh, <laughs> about uh, 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 yeah right about uh, about UCF's loss uh, in, in their last time out uh, against uh, at Memphis. Murph, you were there. Twenty point loss. It did feel like, uh, and by the way, this is just after a 25-point win at Tulane, so let's put this into some context. Um, uh, listen, let's not let's not mince words here. This is this the UCF was just got hammered in this game. I thought that the the biggest issue for the Knights was uh, was the rebounding. They got out rebounded by 18. I went back and I looked at the numbers. I got a piece up on Black and Gold Banneret that I put up just after yours um brian about mm-hmm. the about the rebounding percentages and how ucf has fallen off in the last uh, from their last full year with taco fall 
uh, in the lineup and how their uh, their rebounding percentages of both offensive and defensive are really are, are really a problem. In this Memphis game, Brian, 77-57 was the score. Memphis actually rebounded more of their own shots than UCF got defensive rebounds. Like they, mm-hmm. they had more offensive rebounds than UCF had defensive rebounds on Memphis shot. I mean, that's that that is that that will cause you to lose. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. And uh <laughs> and it, it, you know, people can scream about the free throw shooting all they want. I think the rebounding thing kind of is an issue. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not panicking as much as the other people on Twitter who are, for some reason, calling out Johnny Dawkins, saying that he's not emotional enough. I'm like, what do you want? Uh, the the guy from... Uh, Did they not see him like yelling at his players right, and like, uh, tell him to keep the ball do, early in the Memphis game? Well, also, do they think that him up? running around like Bobby Knight throwing chairs is going to cause the team to rebound better? I mean... <sighs> I'm I'm not quite ready to panic. I recognize that there are some issues, but I'm not ready to panic. And I'm assuming you're probably proud of me for that, right? I'm I'm almost a little surprised, yet pleasantly so. <laughs> um, I, I I appreciate your 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 restraint. Uh, I, I feel like if this was football, it'd be a different story. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, if we lost by twenty um, in football, yeah, I'd be I'd I'd be like you know throwing yeah. things through windows. I mean, anyway, yeah, right? It'd be like. Um, so yeah, I think it's more of like, you know, you and I both wrote about this and we both kind of came up upon, like we both mentioned rebounding. Um, but I sort of came from it from an energy perspective because that's what all we heard about after the game. And when we talked to the guys yesterday, uh, yesterday being Wednesday, uh, at practice, um, just they, they, Memphis came out to that game looking like a team that needed to win. They had just lost a bad game at Tulane or excuse me, at Temple, uh, where they had a bunch of turnovers and mistakes. And so Penny Hardaway had obviously spent the week leading up to the UCF game really getting into his players and telling them they need to play better. And they took that sort of motivation and they put it up there on the court. And they were they, – they, they hustled more. They, they – they, it just looked like they were running it up. They were running everything at, at, at a more energetic, more enthusiastic tempo than UCF was doing. And uh, I think the player, B.J. Taylor certainly acknowledged that after the game. I think Johnny Dawkins has done the same thing this week. Uh, they just didn't come out with the right energy, and that leads over into rebounding. Because the rebounding is about effort. It's about getting loose balls and being there for shots and crashing the glass. And um, So I think it all sort of weaves together that this team, UCF, just could not match Memphis's intensity on Sunday. And one of the ways, maybe the chief way that that played out was the fact that Memphis wanted, got the more loose balls and they got to more balls on both ends of the court. Um, and so now they got to come back and I think you're going to see a different team, uh, certainly tonight against UConn. Is it, did you think, I mean, you were there in person. Like, yeah. w- w- is, is Memphis underrated? Um, no, I think Memphis is Memphis. And you'll, you'll get this feeling from not only talking to the beat reporters, which I did, but then also watching them play on the road. <laughs> Memphis <laughs> is an entirely different team at home and on the road. They really are. And, it's, um, and uh, so this is actually borne out through evidence. Last night, Memphis played yesterday at Tulsa and lost by 16. Uh, and, we're down by, and we're down by 22 in the first half. 
Um, they, it's, 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 there's something about playing in the FedEx Forum that makes Memphis a, a tougher team, which again uh, is going to be a problem come conference tournament time because that tournament's being played in the FedEx Forum. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that. Well, I think Memphis isn't underrated. I think Memphis is what it is. They're 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 a they're a good team, uh, but they are they can be really really good at home and on the road. You can kind of take advantage of them. By the way, if anyone if anyone around here can figure out Tulsa, give us a call. Let us know because I can't figure that team out. <laughs> I can to figure them life. out. <laughs> oh, I can figure them out. Go ahead. <laughs> no, look, so I'm going to back Murph's point up here on Memphis. Right, ready for this? This is this is a this is a trend here. Okay. Memphis eleven and one this year in the FedEx Four, two mm-hmm. and seven away from the FedEx Four. Tulsa, you mentioned what's going on with them. They are now Tulsa eleven and two at home, which includes wins over Memphis and Kansas State. By the way, at home, mm-hmm. away from Tulsa, two and seven. Right, right but they There's they did. We, they, you know, we needed. To, they had a shot to win that game against us at home, and couldn't which get it to beat, fall. By the way. So do we get credit for that win since they beat Memphis, or do we still stink <laughs> according to the fan base? I don't know. Maybe you know. But anyway, what's the most Wichita, pessimistic version of that? That's the one the fan Wichita base. Wichita State. Go. No, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna give you a trend here. Wichita State seven and three at home. Two and eight away from home. Uh, you're, you're seeing the trend I'm going with. South Florida, eleven and two at home, three and four on the road. My point is, you go through across the board in college basketball. About 75, 80 percent of the country, teams can't win on the road. They just can't. Mm-hmm. They're a home. Everybody wins at home. I mean, college basketball, more than any college sport has a huge home court advantage for various reasons student uh, you know the atmosphere it's tough to win at those places you know we've had uh, jeff uh, taylor young on this show mm-hmm. and he talked about how memphis was the hardest place for him to wit to play because they had to adjust to an nba arena the the, the background and the rims and things like that it is different and then memphis when they're on there when people are you know supporting that program they could pack up to what twenty thousand there yeah when things are really cooking uh, and Taylor had to play them during the Calipari era. So um, it's not easy to win on the road. And, and you know, I think you both brought up great points in your respective articles. I do agree that rebounding is a huge issue with this team because I've noticed their defense has slipped a little bit. And part of defense is rebounding. And you mentioned it, Jeff. They gave up a ton of offensive rebounds. And rebounding is the last resort on defense. You can play well defensively for 20 to 25 seconds. But if you don't get a rebound, it doesn't matter. And I think that's been one of the issues with this team is they're giving the other opponents too many opportunities uh, offensively. And then turnovers. I mean, Memphis is number one in conference at forcing turnovers, I believe, uh, and up there in steals as well. And that, you know, UCF didn't handle that. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. And it was a bad night. I mean, there's no question about it. It was a bad performance. Uh, they got, you know, and I'm fascinated to see how they respond at home against UConn, as Murph says, because, again, everybody plays at home. And for everybody that's complaining, by the way, Cincinnati, who I think is one of the best road teams in the country, they actually win games on the road. You know who Cincinnati's own, uh, for road law, uh, only loss in conference was to? Tim? At, was East, Tim? Carolina. at East Carolina. Yeah, that's right. But for all those yeah. people that were tweeting at me about, you can't lose to teams like this on the road. Like, get a clone, clowns. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I was. Yeah, that's what I wanted right there. Somebody, somebody take a drink. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 
I, ne- I never thought that the loss was like a um, like you just can't lose at Memphis. Like no one would say that because it's a tough place to play. Yeah, I thought I looked at more of it as a, it's just a missed opportunity because you know yeah UCF has UCF has a good record, but what's really backing up that record isn't a lot of big quality wins. Uh, Alabama right now is probably their best win. It's a quadrant two win. Memphis would have been their first quadrant one win, uh, and they missed it. Um, so now they they need to really yeah. take advantage of the things that are left on their schedule. I will say three things about UConn before we dive into the game that dovetails really nicely with what we've been talking about. UConn in Connecticut this year, either at the Gamble Pavilion or the XL Center, they've kind of been splitting their home schedules at two different arenas. They're eleven and two. Outside of Connecticut, they're one and six. Mm-hmm. But last time they faced UCF, in which a game UCF won in Connecticut, first time in program history, uh, UConn famously uh, beat UCF, shut out UCF on the offensive glass, seventeen nothing. Man, and still, and still, UCF won in in fairly convincing. Yeah. So let me ask you guys, uh, Murph. I'll start with you on this. Do you think this is an issue of just maybe we're not athletic enough because we play big and other guy teams maybe play smaller? And because I thought Memphis was quicker uh, into the ball. Do you think it's a maybe there's some adjustments to be made? Can UCF play? Do they need to play smaller? What I mean, that's the thing that's interesting. I don't know what have you heard? Why? You know they're not rebounding better. That's really because you would think yeah. with the height that you have, you would be a better right. rebounding team. But um, I just don't see it. And, and you know, Jeff has brought up Taco's numbers are way down uh, yeah. this year. Some of it is foul trouble, and I think some of it too, obviously, is his free throw shooting is so not good that I think sometimes Taco maybe tries to avoid having the ball. But uh, what 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 do we do? We have a reasoning why we're struggling rebounding. Nothing we've heard from the coaches, but I can definitely give you at least a few things that I know. A couple things that I think play into this. One, yes, they play big, and because they have Taco, they send you know Taco every time he's in the paint or whenever he touches the ball, he's going to get doubled or triple teamed. So that sends a lot of the opposing uh, members of the uh, of the other team on the on you know under the rim. So they're they're there underneath Taco. And UCF, so there's you know there's a three to one mismatch there. Even when even with Taco being seven six, if a ball bounces a little outside of his you know reach, he's not going to get there because he's just not he's not he's not quick enough. And that can sort of like leads me to this. UCF has really struggled against quick teams this year. They struggle against Memphis. They struggle against Georgia Southern. Uh, like I just said, they struggle against UConn, who runs a top fifty tempo uh, in college basketball. When they play up-tempo teams, they have really struggled rebounding the basketball. I think that does come from an athleticism standpoint. And then, you know, when they play smaller with, like, Chad Brown and and Colin Smith, they are better. These kind of games against up-tempo teams are not good games for Taco Fall. He, he just does not match up well. You would think he would, but the, the athleticism overwhelms him, really, I think, at some points. And then I'll say, lastly... UCF is so set on on getting you in their half court defense uh, and, and setting up in their half court that I, I feel like they don't want to sell out all the way to the glass with their guards with their back line because then that leaves them exposed. If 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 the other team gets a rebound, then they have no one back to set up their defense. So I think it's it's all three of that. If there's a there's a there's an athleticism component. There's a crowding underneath the basket because Taco's there. And because they are so a uh, defensive-minded team that wants to play in you in their half court, that they don't send everybody to the glass because they want to make sure someone's back to set up the. 
You know, I think one of the other factors too, because I, I went back two years ago when I made that little little sort of mini analysis, and because that was Taco's last full year, and one thing I didn't realize, and I and I'm really curious what you think about this, um, Murph, is you know two years ago UCF had Matt Williams, and he was such a he was such a threat from beyond the arc that you couldn't collapse on the interior and defense because he would you just leave him open and he would make 10 threes a game. Um, not 10 threes a game, but he did make 10 threes in a game. Um, this year, UCF is eighth in the American in three-pointers made with 130. That's 6.8 per game. Just to give you an idea, Houston's first at nine threes a game. Um, and three-point field goal percentage UCF is middle of the pack, sixth at thirty-four percent. So the three-point, I, I think that if they had a, 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 a more of a presence on the outside, um, that that would probably change things a little bit for um, for UCF in terms of in terms of being able to draw some of those guys out of the interior and opening things up for Taco. Usually, I think we think about it as like uh, the opposite, right? Like you. You want your inside guys to sort of open up things for your outside guys and work inside out. I think UCF kind of has to work outside in. I think that's where there there might be a little bit of an issue. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, maybe so. Uh, They've got shooters. I mean, you know, B.J. Taylor and and Aubrey Dawkins can certainly shoot. Uh, You know, Terrell Allen has had a pretty good shooting year, even though he doesn't shoot much. He shot, I think, above 45% from from three-point range. Um, you know, yeah, maybe it's just the, the fact that they're trying to work inside so much and then the guys on the outside just aren't hitting as much. Um, I do think in this game against UConn, it's going to be about your guards. It was about the guards last time. It's about the guards this time. Because, again, I, I just don't think Taco is going to be a big factor against these type of teams. So you've got to rely on yeah. Aubrey Dawkins, who had 23 against UConn a couple of weeks ago, and, um, you know, and guys like that to win you this game. Yeah, by the way. By the way, by the way real quick. Yeah. We could talk yes. all the na- analysis and advanced analysis and rebounding and what's wrong with Taco, this and this. If your two best players combine to go four for 21, I don't care who you, you're not going to win games. I mean, yeah. we, it's sometimes it's as simple as that. And that's what happened in the Memphis game. And Aubrey and BJ have to lead the way. I mean, the <laughs> bottom line. Eric dropping Occam's razor on the two of us like that, just like that, Brian. I'm trying what do you to think simplify this for some of the fan bases <laughs> like, out that think this is like the worst team ever, even though Joe Lenardi has him as a solid, solid 10 seed. But somehow it, the sky is uh, falling. The season's over. The season's done, apparently. Even though well, we're there's no such thing have... as a solid 10 seed. Can we, can we throw that out there? There's no such thing as a fair solid point, point. Fair point. Fair point. I will say, I will say they're right now they're 42nd in the net rankings, which is. Uh, is that the second highest AAC team? I believe it is because Houston's eighth, and uh, no, no third. Cincinnati's twenty third. That's right. That's right. But um, by the way, UCF gets to play twice, and then UCF gets to play Houston. So there are opportunities to merge right. point. Right now, their best, best wins Alabama. They've got a chance. It's in their. My point is, it's in their control. It's, you don't want to be a team right now that's on the outside. That's like, yeah, we're kind of screwed. Like you know, like Indiana's lost like a million games in a row. Uh, they have opportunities in front of them. If they take care of their business, I think seven of I think I tweeted this out. UCF seven of their next the last eleven regular season games are in the state of Florida, and they've got quality games coming up. If they take care of business, they'll be fine. But they you know, obviously we have addressed the issues they need to address. Yeah. But for to for people to suggest that the season is you know done and it's it, this team is terrible and this or that, it's just ludicrous. Just pass it. <laughs> I, I will say, 
Can we? Can we? <laughs> it is. It's true though. Like anybody who says like this team is just they're they're cooked. Like okay, this is stupid. Uh, look, I know it's so far ahead of schedule, but I, I was looking at their slate uh, for the rest of the year, and yeah, they have like you know Houston twice, Cincinnati twice. Those are big games. The last four games, the last four games of the regular season before going to Memphis for the conference tournament at USF, which is not an easy game, could be a quadrant one game if USF gets hot at Houston, at home against Cincinnati, at Temple. That those last that three of the last four in the road. Stretch is brutal. That is a brutal stretch before you got to go to Memphis, <laughs> where they're three and eighteen all time in that arena. Yeah, well, but here's the beauty of it: they that that schedule can get you into the tournament easily, right? You can absolutely. play yourself into the tournament, so you have opportunities. And I'll say this: I rather have this team struggle now than struggle then when you just described that day, yeah. those, those games. Because well, if you yeah. struggle down the stretch, that's what knocks you out of the tournament. Uh, a lot of times people have this magical idea that the bubble teams are these great teams that have great resumes no everybody has their flaws and what you want to avoid is bad losses and you want to be peaking at the end of the year and i think ucf i remember two years ago they peaked at the right time made the run to the nit and all that hopefully they can figure these issues out and they have time to do that so let's not panic people (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I do think that UCF right now does sit squarely on the bubble, at least uh, in terms of bracketmatrix.com. They have UCF as uh, an 11 right now, along with uh, St. John's, Alabama, Arizona. <laughs> By the way, they, they, they rank the accuracy of Lunardi, and he's not the most accurate guy there is. Um, according to their rankings, a- Arizona's the, the other teams you got. <laughs> the other teams you got to watch out for that are 11s that they have as 11s right now. St. John's, Alabama, who UCF has beaten head to head. Arizona State, Seton Hall, and Temple. Um, Temple. Temple. Yeah. We beat them, by the way. Well, I mean, there they are. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Ba- Baylor up ahead of UCF. Baylor, Minnesota, Texas, Indiana, Syracuse, Ohio State, Nebraska. Those kinds of teams. By the Indiana way, just re- lost to Rutgers. By the way, they've lost like eight in a row. No, that's Indiana's why Indiana's in a tailspin. Yeah, well, like they, they keep falling. How many do they have in the Pac-12? I'm curious. Uh, they well, they have the Pac-12 champ as Washington, but they have them as a nine seed, and they put. Uh, let's see. Probably Arizona that's State. It. Arizona State, and, and that's it. And that's it. And yeah, Arizona State's probably Arizona State's probably in the first four. Uh, they're it, yeah. Well, it, yeah, yeah, the eleven seeds they would put them. You know, I mean, I don't know how they would determine. You know, who would be the the, the four first four teams, but they would be in that group as an eleven. Yeah. By the way, really good night of basketball tonight on TV in the American because at seven o'clock you got Houston uh, playing host to Temple on ESPN two. Remember, Temple beat Houston, handed them their only loss of the season. And now they get to go down to Houston. Houston trying to avenge that loss. Houston's twenty and one, seven and one in the conference. Of course, that one is Temple. Temple's fifteen and five, five and two. Uh, and then after that game, UCF and UConn, nine p.m. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. ECU does play Tulane, also, but I don't know why in the world you'd watch that. Um, they're they're combined. <laughs> They're combined one and thirteen in the games conference. Like that, Jeff. It's games um, like that. That's why well, going to give us a big TV contract down the road. Brother. Well, well, they're, they're going to stick. They're going to stick that game on ESPNU, um, whereas uh, UCF and UConn would be on ESPN two following uh, Houston and Temple. And so we'll find out. Not late tip uh, at home 
UCF and UConn. So, uh, yeah, I know. I know. That's why we're recording this now. Get your coffee, Brian. Well, I mean, it could be worse. It could be playing at 10 p.m. against Wichita. But, you know. (laughs) Anyway. All right. So uh, so we'll be watching that. I know you'll be watching that. And both of you guys are going to be there tonight, right? No, Murph's going to be there. Oh, Murph's going to be there. I will be uh, covering Magic Pacer. Oh, that's right. Luke is going to be there tonight. Luke will be there as well, yes. Yeah. Luke Saris will be there tonight, so. All right. I will cool. be. I will say this though. I will be in a. I will be in a locker room, post game locker room. By the time the game starts, and the, when I first get out of the locker room, the first tweet I will be looking for is from Brian Murphy to see how things are going. Uh, <laughs> you should set you, you set your alerts. Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter. Uh, right. All right. That's that for basketball. We're going to take a break. Stick around. Coming up next, Eric Lopez, his interview with Cindy Ball Malone, Coach Bear, coming to UCF. The second head coach in UCF softball history. He interviews her uh, on the on the brink of her uh, first season uh, at UCF, and we'll wrap up some other stuff with uh, UCF tennis as well as they roll through into the beginning of their schedule. Stick around. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. Eric Lopez here, and when you're not listening to me on the Black and Gold Bannerhead podcast yelling at Jeff Sharon or talking baseball with Brian Murphy, you can actually listen to me on another podcast with a fellow UCF alum, a lot smarter, Victor Anderson and I, as we host In the Circle on Fast Pitch News twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. We cover all the world of softball. So if you're UCFA, we talk UCF, we talk how Coach Gillespie's going to do at Iowa, we talk all the topics in college softball, pro softball, and international softball. So give us a follow. Uh, in the Circle SB on Twitter and on Facebook. It's In the Circle on Fast Pitch News twice a week on the podcast. Check us out there. Back now to the Black and Gold Bannerettes. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for the UCF Knights. We are at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. All right, UCF softball for all. Only the second time in program history, UCF has a new head coach. Obviously, Renee Lourdes Gillespie moving on to uh, Iowa after two decades at UCF. And that is some uh, big shoes to fill. But if anybody can fill them, 
It's UCF's new head coach, uh, Cindy Ball Malone, who comes over from uh, Boise State, where she uh, coached the Broncos to one of the nation's top offenses uh, last year in her time. And she's one of the she's she definitely fits the profile of a UCF coach, a hot young coach um, with uh, with offensive chops coming in. Uh, interesting because she's a she was a pitcher when she was a player. She was uh, and she is well connected in the softball world. Eric Lopez, you sat down with Coach Bear as she's known, and she gets into why that's her nickname in a little bit. But um, give us uh, give us a little preview of your interview here as we get ready for uh, a- as we uh, hear from her heading into the uh, 2019 season. Yeah, I recently just uh, had a chance to go by the complex and uh, sit down with her for a little bit and talk about how the transition was going in her first year. Coming over from Boise State, where she built that program from a bottom team in the Mountain West to an NCAA tournament team. You mentioned she was a pitcher. She was actually a two-way player at Pacific, an All-American, and then went on to be in the coaching career, was an assistant under Heather Tarr at Washington even, before going to Boise State. She talks about in this interview why her nickname is Coach Bear, because I know people like Murph has been asking me off the air about it. Do you get the answer here? <laughs> and talks about the transition, a team that's led by Aaliyah White and Cassidy Brewer, as well as a famous high school teammate. That's all coming up here is Miss Sydney Ball Malone here on Black and Gold Banneret. All right, Coach, the season is just around the corner. Uh, how are you feeling here as you get set here in your first season here at UCF? Well, I'm I'm excited. I'm uh, I feel very comfortable as far as where we are at getting settled in, and um, I know we have still some stuff to work on. And um, we brought the girls in early and did a spring training type deal, and had the opportunity to play a national team. And um, I'm 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 excited to see their commitment to what we did because I know it's something different than they've ever done before, and. Um, I mean, they, they work some long hours and they stayed very focused and had good attitudes about it. And so it's it's very welcoming for them to kind of go with some of the ideas I have. And, you know, they say, OK, we're going to go with it. It's different. It's feels uncomfortable a little bit, but we're going to go with it. And um, so I think going into season, um, you know, there's going to be things that we're like, OK, we're not so prepared in that area or um, but we're going to do our best to to make sure that we're prepared in the things we are focusing on as a ste- as a team um, for four or five months is it see it could seem like a lot for training, but it's still getting to know each other, getting to trust each other. And so um, I think if we all understand that this is a process um, and we're building to get better by the end of season, um, you know, and we can stick to that and not get distracted by things. Um, I'm excited to, you know, attack the season with with that in mind. I know you said still you learn to players every day, even during the season. But now you've spent a lot of time with them. What's the maybe the biggest surprise about the roster or any of the pl- you know the players that you've kind of inherited here that maybe you didn't know going in? Um, hmm. Biggest surprise. Well, I mean, you learn you'll learn funny things like. Aaliyah likes to work at TJ Maxx, you know, like right. things like that. But um, I, I think the biggest, I don't know if it's the biggest surprise. It's just, it's a, it's an exciting time to, you know, they, they're sponges and they really appreciate us. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they're, 
I forget. Like, if, if you don't know who I am, I'm 6'1". I'm, I'm this tall, like, big person coming at you. My nickname is Bear. And so sometimes people aren't as outspoken around me. And when you hear them say, you know, they talk about their value of the, the coaching that they're getting and the education that they're getting, um, that to me is like, wow, okay. I, I wouldn't have known that unless I read in their journal that they gave to us. And um, so that that's fun. But I think, you know, yesterday, um, this was kind of a learning moment for me is uh, – it, it was a scary little thing, but um, there was an accident just outside the entrance to the softball field. And we all heard it. And my first instinct, I looked at everyone and I said, are all of us here? And they said no. And so immediately I started sprinting out to um, where it was. And then we figured out, okay, not that it, because it's nobody we knew it wasn't important, but we sent our trainer and, you know, all that stuff. And I came back and I said, okay, guys, the, the, the appropriate people are going to take care of it. Let's get back to work. And a couple of the girls came up to me and said, that was really cute, coach. And I said, well, what was really cute? And they said, you asked where we were. And I said, well, yeah. And I think they forget that they're not just softball players to me. Right. right? And so that was a moment of, I'm a mom. And I think that I have, you know, I've learned these mother instincts or they've just kind of come about of um, these girls are important to me and their safety is important to me. And, you know, the first thought in my mind is we're starting practice and a few girls come straight from class and, oh, I hope they're not rushing. And, um, you know, and that's where it it's really to me, it, that's most important is their safety and sure. them understanding as people. So that was a long-winded answer to, no. your, to your, your question. But I think just understanding that it's it's very important, um, the people that we deal where we work with and we get to deal with every day. Um, and we sometimes lose sight of that with the wins and losses and the, you know, the X's and O's and, you know. Sure. So, yeah. Well, and I've noticed you too. You've worked a lot with the team bonding and getting to know each other off the field. And I know you feel that that's going to pay off on the field as well as everybody knows each other and has that chemistry, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. We're still not there on the field, off the field. They're learning each other and you can hear them. They make those little comments of like, I love hanging out with this team or I, you know, I'm having a lot of fun. And, um, and then on the field, they still are in there like, well, okay, I'm going to go play my spot. And I said, or, you know, we're running gassers. Well, nobody likes to run gassers. I mean, if somebody does, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but typically softball players don't want to run gassers. And I said, well, the problem is, is you guys are approaching these thinking you're doing it by yourself and you've got the person to your left and the person to your right. And they look at me like, aha, a light bulb goes on and it gets a little bit better that day. Um, so when we get to the point where they understand that they're playing for each other and it's not about them, um, I think that we've accomplished our goal. Yeah. Uh, on the, on the, some of the players, Aaliyah White, obviously mm -hmm. the veteran pitcher coming back. What's been your thoughts? You've been working with her a lot. Uh, your thoughts on her as she enters her junior year. Um, thoughts on her is she's just taken on, you know, a new coach coming in and um, changing same things up and putting her, make, putting her in uncomfortable situations in practice so that she's better when game time comes. Our goal is for her to be at her best come conference tournament. And um, she's had a great career um, up until where we are at now. And um, we're, we're focused on winning games in the conference tournament now. And I, I, we 
she knows that and she's had to grind out some frustrating bullpen sessions and we come back in and um you know she tweeted something trust and it was a picture of her and I and I thought well okay this is pretty cool you know because today was a rough day and she understands it's a process and if you feel good every day you're probably not getting better right That's true. Uh, that's where the key is to yeah. try to get better. So he's your veteran, but you got some newcomers on your staff, a uh, couple of freshmen in particular, Brianna Vasquez, and you got uh, Ashley Stevenson. Uh, talk about them. They look very good. They both combined in a shutout when you beat the Canadian yeah. national team here recently. You know, I think that that goes back to Aaliyah's leadership. Um, she's really taken them, up, you know, under her wing and um, – very supportive. The pitching staff is, they gel. They understand that they're one unit. Um, It's not like the old days where one could go and just keep going. You need a staff and they get that and they know that they're different and they, they embrace that. So um, Bree and Ashley, they're, they're, um, though they're both freshmen, they're very different in personality and even in pitching um, tools and it it works to our advantage. And so um, they're sponges uh, they they compete. Um, they know when to follow when they need to follow, and they know when to lead because they. When you're a pitcher, you're a leader automatically. So um, I'm really excited about that. And then we added um, Kiana East, and she is um, like I said. It, I don't feel like she's brand new to the team because they've taken it, taken her under her, their wing, and like this is how we do things. This is where we're going, and we haven't had to do much of that stuff. So I think. Even though we want it to be, you know, at a faster rate, we we're moving pretty good in a good direction, um, and to build leadership takes time. So, uh, but in the circle, I'm, I'm excited. I know we're going to have some bumps here and there, and I think that we're going to get better. But having those early are going to be good. Uh, of course, Cassidy Brewer, I've joked with her when I've run into her. Like, she's the longest. She knows the program as well as anybody right yeah. now. She's yeah. been here since her sister played and everything like that. Just talk about Cassidy, what she brings in her senior year as a catcher and one of the leaders on the team. Sure. And, again, that kind of goes back to what I was saying with Aaliyah is um, to have a coach come in for your last year, sometimes you can put a wall up. And with Cassidy, right away, I said, hey, um, you're one of you know you're one of the very talented and like well-known players on our program that means that i'm going to have to hold you to high expectations in things that you can can control and so um that that part's been good because now i i can use her as examples of this is how you get through things it's not like oh well she hit a double and she hit a triple those things are awesome in a game but what 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 can she do that she can control and so she's been all in about it um and i think we've really gotten to know each other uh very well in this this short amount of time and you know we can sit there and say oh i wish i had more than a year but we get a year and i'm really excited about it and um so you know she she just told me yesterday she goes you never you're not telling me a lot with my swing and i said you don't fix what's not broken Cass." and she goes (laughs) okay coach and i said don't worry you'll know when i want you to make an adjustment so um She's fun to be around. Love her behind the plate. I know she wasn't the full-time catcher when she came into the program, um, but I think that's what makes her super special back there is that she plays the game not like a catcher, if that makes any sense. And so um, there's even times where she's caught me off guard. I'm like, oh, that's an awesome play. I didn't expect it. Um, And so it's, it's just fun to be a part of and fun to see. 
plus her background, her family is all coaching. Oh, her yeah. dad's a coach. Her sister's a coach at Shorter. Does that help you a lot too? That it's a player that knows what it the you know the, the coaching side of things in a way because she grew up in a way part oh, of it. Oh sure, yeah. Being a, a student of the game, um, I think that runs in her family for sure. And they eat, sleep, you know, just live the game. So um, it, it's been fun to to be a part of that and have somebody in our program like that. How do you feel about the defense and the rest of the offense going in as you get started the season? I know you're still trying to figure out some things, but you got a lot of players that have a lot of experience, yeah. which has to help you out as well. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, again, is, you know, they, they've learned a few new things, um, just like how to approach the ball and, you know, things like that. And so sometimes when we learn, we might go down a little bit and then, you know, we get back up. And um, so right now we're figuring ourselves out and where we all fit. We might see some people in different positions. Um, but we're just we're we're trying to work those things out. Um, as far as defense goes, we have a lot of athleticism, um, great arms, and a lot of range is what I've seen. And so um, just putting all those pieces together, um, we're constantly working on live situations. I think that's the big thing is like if you put us in more of a camp model, we show off. And now it's just a matter of, okay, the speed and the direction dictate which way we're going to go with the ball. And so we're really working on those pieces right now and fine tuning those pieces offensively. Um, I think the offensive, you know, the hitting coach will say you can never hit enough, but um, I like the, where we're going and, you know, we've, we've brought in a model that I've used for the last three or four years and um, I've had success with myself. So they're buying into it. And I think being able to have that under my belt of like, here are some numbers and here are the results. And, you know, they, they're buying into working towards those numbers. So, um, it might be a little different look on our offense and how we're running it. Um, but I think it's going to, it's going to be exciting and, you know, we're, we're going to be pleased with, um, the process if we stick to our approach. Talking about your staff, Kendra Lynch, I've noticed even in the fall and even the Canada game, there's times when she'll go and talk to the pitcher. Then there's mm-hmm. times when you go and talk to the pitchers. Just talk about how you guys, you two kind of make that work and how you make that decision on who's the one that goes to talk and how you guys' responsibilities. Kendra was a great player in North Carolina, a two-way player like you were, and obviously was a grad assistant with Florida State recently when they won the national title. Yeah. Um, I think that's more just gut, right? So, um that's where we've really dug into um, the players have routines. And if they get out of routine, um, maybe that's just a, a situation for Kendra to go talk to the pitcher alone. And then if I see that the defense needs to be calm or we need to, you know, maybe we need to like light a little fire underneath them. That's probably, you know, more of a, a, a head coach conversation. And so I think it's more of a, a gut and a timing that we decide. It's not like, well, we have this determined or this determined. Um, but I, Kendra knows the game very well. She's played at a high level. Um, and the thing with Kendra, too, is she's one of those that can just see ball, hit ball. Like, very, I think very simple, um, intelligent person, right? you got to be intelligent to graduate from North Carolina and get your master's in a year. But um, uh, has the ability to be simple. And so when that time comes... We utilize it. And then when the time comes that, you know, it's got to be that stern, like, here, here's the head coach. Let's, you know, let's re just uh, reset. Um, you know, that's where I kind of come into play. So 
there's no egos here. It's really however we can get it done in the you know in the quickest time, faster than the game requires us to. You got uh, Jen Salling as a volunteer coach, who's now once again is going to be on the Canadian national team in 2019, national champion at Washington. Uh, I think you coached her too, or Victoria Haywood when yeah. you were at Washington under Coach uh, Tar. There, talk about Victoria, who's going to be your director of ops, and then Jen is a volunteer. Yeah. So having Jen um, with her, it's it's a unique situation because we get her part time. Um, she we made that she made it very clear, and we had the understanding that um, training is a main priority for her. Um, but understanding her knowledge of the game and her education of the game and just her experience, she brings a lot to our program. Um, and it doesn't hurt when she can get out there and show off in front of the girls and they're like, okay, that's what I want to do. Um, uh, so having, having her here and having a good set of eyes, it allows me to kind of step back because she speaks my language. Um, she knows the expectation and I'm able to set, step back and kind of see the whole picture. Um, and be a true head coach instead of having to, okay, I'm just the pitching or I'm just the offense or I'm just the infield. I'm able to see the entire thing. Um, with Victoria on staff, again, she's she's been a coach for four years and now has kind of taken a different role so that she can have her um, training in mind um, but still be a part of us. And so she is a set of eyes, right? She can see things and help me. She doesn't have coaching roles, um, but huge knowledge of the game again and just you know when with video and you know things like that she catches things on film that maybe just your typical video person wouldn't think about filming like you know we're doing a drill of uh covering steals and she's got the angle exactly of like hey coach here you go and i look i'm like yep they're not getting the position i want them to um so it's little things like that where um it's so valuable and you can't it's something you can't coach up or teach up or write up in a, a practice plan. So having those people um, along with me, I mean, it, you're supposed to build something that there are better people around you so that you become right. better. And I think that I've done a, a really good, I can pat myself on the back about that because even including Tiffany and keeping her on staff, um, she knows the area. She knows like just so many inside things that she has um, with, being here for so long and I think that's also gained trust because the girls still feel a little comfort of this isn't a whole new staff I feel like I can't come and talk to anybody right. and so she's really been that person for me of you know I can rely on her to help me know the way of the lay of the land and um, she's also done a really good job with transitioning into the change because there has been quite a bit of change with just the model that I've brought in two quick things uh, you've mentioned it your reference is Coach Bear. For those that don't know, because I've been asked about it, and I'm sure people are going to keep asking about it, where did the Coach Bear come from? Sure. So when I was 12, I was always called the Teddy Bear. And um, when I uh, played on, I played for the SoCal Choppers, uh, Gary and Dean Fawcett. And I used to travel, um, this was when I was a senior in high school, I used to travel with them to the tournaments. Um, so instead of my parents maybe coming, I would go with them and uh, they had this big green suburban and I would always hop in the back. I was the biggest player on the team, but I was hopping the back so I could just pass out after the games. And sure as heck, we had, I think five or six games that day. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm hopping in. And I got in the back and I think I passed out before we had even <laughs> gotten out of the parking lot. 
So the next day we were at a workout on the field and they were, you know, they just, they would give us a hard time and I was doing something then they're like, you know what? You hibernate like a gosh darn bear. I'm going to call you bear. <laughs> and so it kind of stuck. And then when I got to college, I mean, they just always called me bear. And then when I got to college, I uh, thought that I would, you know, get over it and get past it. And I, you know, there for the month and coach Tar. Um, had been hired on as the assistant coach. Well, Coach Tar knew Gary and Dean Fawcett because their um, son-in-law, John Rittman, yep. so there's a huge link there, um, John Rittman coached Coach Tar at Washington. So she had gone out to dinner with them when she went recruiting and came back, and she said, and we were hitting, and she goes, good job, Bear. And I looked back, and I said, oh, no. <laughs> so it's kind of stuck ever since. I, I got away from it after... Um, playing and coaching at Pacific because everyone called me. It was bear ball, bear baller, bear, <laughs> um, all of those things. And then when I went on to be a head coach at the junior college level, I just wanted to be coach ball because um, I thought it was more professional and cool. Sure. Got back to Washington. It was bear again. And so then I thought, you know what? That's me. That's my identity. That makes me cool. And I'm sure. a professional. And um and I can be professional with Coach Bear, and that's how the recruits know me. That's how everyone knows me. Um, so it's just kind of stuck. I, I can relate. They call, everybody calls me Elo. Yeah. I don't know how it happened. It just started, so you just can't stop the wave. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, you can't stop the wave. Quick, uh, Jessica Mendoza, you played with in high school. I did. I did. Um, so we were just talking about this. Um, we started out our freshman year. We were trying out for the team, the high school team. And we're like, how are we going to make varsity? This team did really good last year. And there's only two positions open. And at that time, I was kind of a catcher, first base, shortstop, outfield. And I would pitch a little bit. And pitcher and catcher were open on the team. And I said, Jess, I can pitch. <laughs> so you catch. And sure as heck, we were pitcher and catcher freshman year. Didn't think we were going to make the team. We were hitting third and fourth. We were the pitcher and the catcher. You know, we were, I would say, the true battery of the team. And um, so, I mean, it's just funny. We were just talking about it when we got to meet up for dinner the other day. Um, but what a true teammate and competitor. I mean, that that lady has trained. I used to say, let's not go to your house because your dad makes us do, like, uh <laughs> <laughs> power cleans during you know commercial breaks and things like that but i mean that's why she is who she is she's always worked so hard and she has such a passion for our sport and just for women in general in sport yeah she's a tremendous and now she's a good hookup for baseball tickets oh, yeah. right? <laughs> uh well coach uh wish you the best here in the first year i know the season's gonna get underway uh, good luck and uh, we'll be uh, certainly talking uh, down the road thank you and there, thanks to Coach Paul Malone for uh, joining us here on uh, Black and Gold Banneret. And, uh, of course, UCF softball season gets underway. Believe it or not, I can't believe it. A week from today, in fact, it's a week from tonight, they host Ole Miss, part of a big marquee tournament. They got Ole Miss, Minnesota, Ohio State, part of that field in the opening weekend of the tournament. Of course, that Ole Miss opener Thursday night, 6.30 as of now. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be interesting uh, with Sydney Ball alone there uh, Jeff of course she mentioned her philosophy offensively remember Boise State was number one in batting average last year in college softball so she has her philosophy as often she as well as her pitching and it'll be interesting how that translates to UCF I'm not suggesting they're going to hit that much considering the ball with the altitude and everything out there but 
Um, you know, that's going to be part. She mentioned that a little bit in the offensive side of the thing. So should be interesting to see uh, how things go. And uh, now we know at least where we can get baseball tickets. She's got to connect with Jessica Mendoza. <laughs> well, this is a pretty good field, by the way, for this uh, Friends of Jacqueline tournament. By the way, they played this, I think, over in like Sanford last year, I think, when they played this, right? Correct. Or something like that. So, or Altamont yep, Springs. Yep. So yep. this year they're playing it at UCF. And here's who you got coming in. You got Ole Miss, Minnesota, Ohio State. George Mason, UNF, really good way to start the season. Uh, then they go to that Puerto Vallarta College Challenge. Uh, Washington's on the slate. Mississippi State's on the slate. Uh, tournament team. Yeah, and then they come back home for uh, Coastal Carolina, Pitt, Penn State, Louisiana Tech, and the Knights Classic. Uh, and then they have one more tournament, which includes uh, Florida State. They actually play two games against Florida State at the beginning of March. Before they begin, uh, or before they begin the home slate, they got uh, they go up to Florida. By the way, and one last tournament also in March uh, down in Clearwater, where they got a couple other teams on the slate as well. So, pretty busy slate for UCF. They start the conference play March twenty second against UConn. Um, I mean, you know how the early part of the season is. It's uh, it's brutal, man. You playing all these games and these tournaments. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they. Um, how they start out, and I think starting with Old Miss and and some of these other teams like Minnesota, Ohio State, really good way to get a measure of what UCF has, uh, at least at this point, under uh, under Coach Bear. So once again, February seventh, six thirty p.m. The opener against Ole Miss, opening night, night with a K for uh, UCF softball. By the way, those of you wondering where's where's baseball, we're going to be bringing that in next week. So just you know, hang tight. All right, people. Um, it's coming, but it's, coming. it's coming. Trust okay. me. Be patient. Lots of material. Listen, we have we, it's it's hashtag content, right, Murph? Um, it's it's all about content, right? 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 <laughs> uh, a couple things I wanted to catch you guys up on uh, real quick. Um, by the way, uh, we talked last week about uh, contract extensions, um, and there was one more contract extension that came down. Uh, women's soccer, Tiffany Roberts Hadak. Uh, signed a uh, contract uh, extension as well last week, right after our show, actually, believe it or not. Uh, she's extended through 2023. Like I, said, it, like I said, if you come on this show, good things happen. I know. Actually, contract extensions are not too far away. So yeah, there you go. Uh, if, if you haven't been on our show yet, just feel free. I think we've almost had every coach on. <laughs> we've, had, we've had almost on. every coach on. So, um uh, come, right. on, come on, come on, come on! Our show, you'll get money. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't even have to pay you. UCF will do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, men's tennis. Uh, they start their home schedule. They're off to a rough start, by the way. They're zero three to start the regular season, um, but they haven't played at home yet. They play number four Florida. Um, Thursday, we're recording this Thursday morning. They play Thursday night. Number four, Florida, yeah, at uh, the USTA Center. That's a big day for them. Uh, I mean, gosh, they are just, what are they doing, man? This schedule is, is this murderer's row. They got Florida, Indiana, Michigan, Miami. Then they go, then they got Tulane, and then they got Penn State, Wake. Goodness me. I mean, they're, they're, strong schedule. That is a tough, tough slate, dude. Oof. So we're we strength, though. Uh, UCF yeah. women's tennis is a 23rd in the all important ITA rankings. Eric Lopez, um, they uh, their schedule looks like this. They are uh, well right now. They're off to a three and two start. They split ITA kickoff weekend 
uh, up in uh, Evanston, Illinois. They lost four to three to number twenty Northwestern, but beat number twenty three Tulsa four to one, and that's a conference matchup. So uh, they're back home on Sunday, February third, at noon to face Baylor, and then they have the ITA National indoors February eighth through the eleventh. So some individual matchups taking place there. That'll be fun to watch before they. Um, go on a little like mini SEC road trip. They're at Alabama on the 15th, at Ole Miss on the 17th, before they return home for Georgia State on the 21st. So, um, again, UCF women's uh, tennis is uh, trying to maintain that national standing as they roll through uh, their season. All right. Um, so that catches you up on everything that we've been taking a look at here in terms of some news and notes. Oh, by the way, we can't let you. I can't let you guys get out of here without one thing. Um, and listen, Lopez, I know you don't like the fact that the Patriots are in the Super Bowl again. You just, you hate Tom Brady. You hate Bill Belichick. You hate the New England Patriots. We really need to talk Super Bowl. I don't, there's no, UCF I'm not, no, we're not, no, 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 no. There, there's no UCF players in the Super Bowl. You're correct. But I can't let you guys get out of here without going on the record with a pick. So Eric Lopez, you go first. I predicted halftime heat. WWE at WWE Network is going to be the best thing to watch that night. Oh my! And I God. like Gargano uh, oh and John and Champa, baby. And we can, wait, Listen. We give a shout out. In all seriousness, shout out, shout out to head coach Greg Lovelady, who predicted accurately, a hundred percent, that Seth Rollins would win the Royal Rumble. Murphy, you were there. You asked the hard nosed <laughs> question. I knew this is. I knew this was going to happen. To ask, and he asked the question. And Lovelady said Seth Rollins. He didn't even hesitate at Seth Rollins won. Props to guys, Chris guys. I, I, I've gone through six or seven years of formal journalistic education. Uh, <laughs> and, and I've submitted my graduate thesis. You know, I have done hard hitting investigations. It all set me up to ask UCS baseball head co- head coach yeah. who, who he thought he would, would win the Royal yeah. Rumble. Yeah, that FOIA That's request really turned out for, really really worked out well for you there, Brian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, the game. Who you got, Eric? Jeez. <laughs> Who's gonna win? The cheaters. They always do. Jeez. Wow. Man, wow. Murph, how are you gonna by top that? that? By the <laughs> way, by the way, Murph. Okay. Yes. As a baseball guy, doesn't it bother you and piss you off that we have a athlete in football that's over forty years old and is magically performing at a high level, but nobody questions how he's doing it. But yet in baseball, when that happens, the guy's in is juiced up. <laughs> that's a good point. I actually never yeah, no, thought of it the hell I ever. That's interesting. What I mean, you know, because but Tom, but Tom Brady's married to Giselle. He's uh, the golden boy. He's, he's on, the golden boy. How dare how dare you cast aspersions he's on the on great the T- Tom Brady? He's he he's doing it because he's on the TB12 diet. <laughs> I know, I know. He he eats like arugula, and that's it. You know, I mean, it's no rams. <laughs> I, you know, I will, Murph. Murph, you're uh, you, you're you're Mr. Pro Football Fantasy guy. Who you got? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I uh, I will. I never rooted for the Rams growing up, but I will support my Los Angeles roots by uh, going yeah, for the Rams. Miserable for you, L.A. and Boston again, Murph. I know. Well, it is kind of L.A. <laughs> also, I'll just go for the Rams because uh, it's always fun to see the Patriots lose. As a Giants fan, we know something about that, or two things about that. <laughs> exactly. I'm rooting for the Rams. I think the Patriots are going to win. Uh, that, that's, of course, that's so bad. But, but I don't know, man. Oprah. All right, glad we Oprah. got that out of the way. My, my, you know what I'm looking forward to? Orlando, Apo- Orlando Apollo's opening weekend. That's what I'm oh. looking forward to. Yeah, that's not this weekend, but the following weekend. 
Um, and we'll probably dive into that a little bit more um, next week as well. Uh, and we'll be previewing also some of the UCF players that you'll be seeing in the AAF uh, as well on our site, um, blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, Eric Lopez, what are some of the things you've been working on in addition to our uh, UCF Hall of Famers series that we've been going on? We got we got a bunch coming for you this coming week, right? Yeah, that's what we got. I mean, it's going on, and obviously, uh, you know, we you know we're the Hall of Fame. UCF's bringing back the Hall of Fame, ironically enough. So we're bringing out football players and other sports and who we think could be worthy of the Hall of Fame, if not in the near future, real down the road. So we're gonna be working on that. I'm also gonna be working on some of the TV numbers. You realize women's basketball back to back weeks on ESPN two, really good TV schedule this year for the women's basketball program that uh, they benefited from the American. Uh, so I'll be curious to see how the numbers draw against UConn and then against South Florida in comparison. It will probably be two of the most watched women's basketball games of all time at UCF because, A, they haven't been on national on ESPN or ESPN2 that often uh, in their history of the program. And uh, this, this, so you know, the attention is there. So, uh, you know, we talked a lot about football and about the, the exposure with the TV and the you know, the women's basketball program has gotten a ton of exposure. Believe it or not, they've had – They've been on ESPN two more than the men's team to this point. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Actually, it's about even. If you don't, if you take away that tournament in um, where they won the UCF men's one earlier this year, they were on ESPN two a couple yeah. of times there. Murph, uh, in the conference play, the women's been there. Murph, what do you got? Uh, I got things with words, but now that that's <laughs> out of the way, can I? Can I? Can I? Uh, I have a point that we missed in our UConn uh, preview. Okay, um, you might. Remember I remember back in the first meeting, Altariq Gilbert was the leading scorer for UConn. He was really their best player in the first half. UConn attacks you with three guards, uh, Jalen Adams, Christian Vital, and Altariq Gilbert. They they were, they give them about 60, 60% of their scoring offense. And Gilbert was the number one scorer in that first matchup. He probably will not play tonight. Uh, he got hurt on Saturday against Wichita State. He had a left shoulder injury. The left shoulder has been a real problem for him throughout his career at UConn. Um, he did make the trip to Orlando. But just kind of going on Twitter, looking at their beat writers, it doesn't sound like he's going to play tonight. So that does take out a significant chunk of uh, of, the, of the Huskies' offensive attack. Good. That game is at nine o'clock on uh, on ESPN two, uh, following UCF, Houston Temple. UC, UCF a seven and a half point spread favorite at home. Wow. Not bad. Not bad. All right. So we got that coming up. We got uh, well, we're going to be putting. A wrap on the uh, fall football season, spring football coming up around the corner. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like I said, we'll have our baseball preview coming up pretty soon. Luke Saris actually with a nice uh, feature. He uh, spoke to Isaiah Sykes recently for something Luke is calling Black uh, or, or Back in the Day Q&A uh, on Black and Gold Banneret. And he talks to Isaiah a little bit, gives us a little bit of insight about his career that he uh his professional career where he's played in iraq in the iraqi league uh and uh, what it's like being over there and then also some of the if he was going to uh run with his own uh his own starting five for ucf who would he run with in addition to himself i've got a feature up on ucf alumni in the nfl how they did this year a couple good surprises uh, and also we're going to be looking at that's the veterans at least i'll be looking at the nfl ucf's nfl rookies this year uh, in uh, in a little bit as well, and uh, so we have plenty to uh, we have plenty here as we're we're approaching the spring equinox. Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, the spring sports equinox is upon us. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can also follow us at facebook.com/blackandgoldbanneret. And 
UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. Guys, thanks again. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jeffrey. All right, boys. And thank you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch up with you next week. Yeah.